Today's message, um, I've titled it uh, Victory Formation. Anyone who's familiar with football, you are probably aware of this term, victory formation. It is, well, maybe if you are a Washington Commanders fan, maybe you aren't familiar with the term <laughs> victory formation. <laughs> we, don't, uh, we don't see that formation very often around these parts. Um, but victory formation is when your, your team has the ball and the game is pretty much over and you're just trying to milk out the clock um, so that you win the game. And so what happens is you get in this formation to guard the ball, the quarterback steps back, he kneels, and the time runs off the clock. That is victory formation. Um, but if, if you're a player on, on the field, you know, victory formation doesn't begin when you line up for that one specific play. For you to be in victory formation, it begins way before that. Right? Number one, you, you, have to, you have to make the team, right? You got to actually become a part of the team. The team gets formed, and then you have, you have practice. You have lots of practice. You got two-a-days. You have uh, off-season workouts. You have post-season workouts, pre-season training, and then you have film study that you have to take a part of, right? You have to understand your plays that you're going to run. You have to also understand the opponent's plays, and you have to recognize the opponent's tendencies, and then there's actually the game where you have to put all of that work and all of that information into actual plays against an actual opponent. And all of that work and practice goes into the real game and you have to execute. And you're fighting through pain and you're fighting through injuries. And after all of that is done and you have outplayed your opponent, you get the pleasure at the end of the game to just run out the clock and there's no possible way for you to lose. You get into victory formation and you kneel on the ball. Now, I hope you guys are understanding or picking up what I'm putting down here this morning. That what I hope to impart to you today is that, yes, like through God, through Jesus Christ, we are victorious, right? We are victors. He wears the victor's crowns. But living a victorious Christian life does not happen overnight. Living a victorious Christian life on a daily basis doesn't happen by just showing up on the field and taking a knee on the ball. Unfortunately, we do not get to go straight to victory formation. Victory has to be formed in us. And I believe God desires for all of us to experience this victory, to experience on earth as it is in heaven, to taste and see how good the Lord is right here, right now, to have real freedom on, our daily, on a daily basis in our lives. Anybody here this morning, can you understand what I'm saying, right? I implore you all to please communicate with me, right? You can say, yes, sir, that's good, that's not good. You can say whatever you want this morning. Just talk back to me a little bit. But I believe that in in God's plan of redemption, of bringing us back to, to life in the garden, he died for us to walk with him, and to know him in a close and intimate way and to live in that reality, not just when we get to heaven, but to live in that reality right, right now. But the reality is, is that there is effort that is required from us. 
as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit for us to truly experience the freedom that Jesus Christ has died for. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. That's what this passage, I believe, speaks to us about today, how victory is formed in us, how we can live victoriously, and the things that we might need to do to actually walk this out. So we're going to be reading from 2 Kings uh, chapter 13, verses 14 to 19. It is our custom that we stand in reverence to the reading of God's word this morning, so please stand with me. We're going to read this together. It says this. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said to him, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elijah said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. God, my prayer and my hope is that we will all leave this place encouraged and empowered by your Holy Spirit to live out the life that you desire for us. God, I pray for freedom in this house and for victory and deliverance and hope. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to each and every soul, including myself, on what that looks like for our individual lives. God, do something here today that only you can do. Change us and transform us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. <clears throat> so this is a very interesting passage. You've probably maybe read it before, maybe heard it preached before. I know I have, and it's just been sticking in my mind. And so I, as it has been encouraging to me, I thought that I would share some thoughts um, that has helped me along the way. But this is a very interesting passage because we have... It says Joash here, in my NIV version it says Jehoash, and so you may hear me refer to him as Jehoash, but this is a a very interesting moment because uh, Joash is, maybe I'll just call him Joe for short. So Joe, (laughs) Joe is, um, he's a king of Israel, but he comes from a a long line of of kings that um, have really been kind of distant from God, have been rebellious have been doing their own thing. They have no, no relationship with God, no relationship with Elisha the prophet either. It, it says that they, they have been continuing in their ways, basically, as you read through 1 Kings and the accounts of the kings of Israel. They have nothing to do with God. They have no desire for anything to do with God. But yet, Joe is here in this moment facing an enemy, and he decides 
when Elisha is on his deathbed, when the man of God is about to die, hey, I need to go and talk to this man because I'm facing an enemy here that I think is going to destroy us. And so I just need to know, can God help me here in this situation? God, I need you to save me here in this moment. And so he runs towards Elisha. And I love, I love Joash's his cry here because he says, my father, my father. Really, he has no relationship with him at all. But he goes to him, he says, my father, my father. Really intimate term, analogy that he's saying here. Like he, like he knows him and he's crying out to him. And this is what struck me first as I read this passage. Is that this man who doesn't know God, who doesn't know, he knows of God, but doesn't know God, in a moment of crisis decides to run to God. And what I, and what I love here is that Elisha responds to him with some instruction, but Elisha does not respond to him with, you're disobedient. Why, why would God answer you? Why would I speak to you? You're a sinner. You don't want anything to do with God. You haven't lived your life towards God. Why, why would I do anything to help you? No, that's not how he responds to Joash here in this moment. He responds to Joash. He responds to Joash, right? Like That's all I can say, that he, he responds to him. His back isn't turned. And this is the most beautiful thing about our God, because this, if you read the Bible, this is typically how God responds to us. This is typically how God responds to people in the accounts of the Bible is that he does not respond with a stiff arm. He does not respond with his back turned. He does not respond in anger. He typically responds to our cry out to him with grace and with mercy. That is God's typical response. You know, this, this past, past week I was with my family in North Carolina. We are. Uh, uh, my, my uncle passed, passed away. He had an 18-month bout with stage 4 cancer and um, 66 years old. And um, my uncle lived a rough life, you know, just to be honest with you guys about it. Um, I know he's probably, he grew up in the church like I did in the same family, Baptist church, um, but his life looked nothing like it. He lived a hard life, a life filled with strongholds and addictions, and um, I'm not quite sure what his experiences were with God. But I do know two Mondays ago, my, my mom called me, um, and Monday's my, Monday, Monday is my, my, day, my, day off, my day off, so I typically don't like to answer my phone. Um, so if you call me on Monday, I'm typically not going to respond and answer to you, but I still love you. Um, <laughs> but my, my mom calls me, and... Um, it's early, and she says, um, <clears throat> Jermaine, the doctor, just gave us a report that it's just a matter of, of time. Uh, I don't, and I don't know your uncle's uh, heart towards God, but I, I need you to walk him through what it means to know Jesus. Um, and he's, he's too weak to talk. He was too weak to even squeeze her hand as a, as a confirmation that, he's, that he understands. But he had, a, but he had a, uh, the ability to open his eyes and to wink as his response. And in that, you, in that moment, I felt so unqualified and so overwhelmed. 
God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do. I'm on, I'm on a phone with my uncle who's in the hospital who can't see me. God, I, I, I'm praying that you would do something here. So I told my mom, just like, God has to do something, so I'll do whatever you need me to do. So she puts him on speaker, starts talking to my uncle. I say, Uncle, my Uncle Johnny, Uncle Johnny, it's your nephew, Jermaine. Uh, can you hear my voice? And my mom said, he winked. Uncle Johnny, um, I love you. You understand that? And he winks. And Johnny, do you know that Jesus loves you? Then I started to tell him about John 3.16. And I started to talk to him about how God's arm is not too short to save. And that he loves him. That he died for us even though we were sinners. He died for us. I said, Uncle Johnny, do you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? My mom said he, he blinked. And I started to, to, to I started to think, can God, can God hear? I appreciate it. Can God hear? Can God hear his, his blink? And immediately, God was like, yes, I can hear you blink. That's how big our God's grace is. That's how awesome and beautiful our God is. My my uncle had lived basically his his entire life running from God. But in in that moment, on his deathbed, listen, he passed away 24 hours later. in that moment. He's like, he was like the criminal that was beside Jesus on the cross. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. And I, I'm so grateful that that's how big our God's grace. You guys understand, there's nothing that stands in the face of the grace of God, of the love of God. There's nothing that gets in the way of that. There's no sin too big. There's no devil too tall. There's no issue that's too great that would stop God from entering into your issue or your situation. Here's my question that I have this morning. Who do you cry out to when you're in the middle of something? Who or what is the first thing that you turn to when you are confronted with an issue? And if the answer to this question is not Jesus, this big, huge, gracious God. And I think we're selling ourselves short just a little bit. We're missing out on the real answers and true victory and freedom that Christ offers for us in our lives. And, and here's the real question. If, if the reason that we don't go to God is that we think that God won't listen to us because of who we are, that God won't hear our cry because of what we may have done, that God, that we are too far from God to, to hear us. We're too far from God to know us. That God, there's no way that God would want me in his family. There's no way that God would want to hear my voice talking to him. Then I, family, let me just say this right now. 
And you are sadly mistaken, and that is not the truth. That is a lie from the enemy. God is listening to you. He's listening out for you, that he is not running from you, that his grace is sufficient for you, that his arm is not too short to save, that his ear is not too far to hear from you, that there's nothing that is standing between you and God this morning. Would you cry out to him? This is the beginning of what it looks like to have hope for victory in your life. You want victory? It starts here, running towards God and understanding that he is gracious and he is merciful and he will hear you. First John says it like this in one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that. So this pastor is saying a lot of, a lot of things here. I, 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 you know, Joe Ash is, is not a believer, but we learn a lot from, from Joe Ash here in this moment. We learn some things about what it means to find some breakthrough in your life. And as we read verses 14, we read verse 14, it says, after he says, my father, my father, he cries out. And then he says, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Like he's speaking about something specific in the moment. And then Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. He says, take the bow in your hands. He said to the king of Israel. And he did so. He took the bow and the arrows in his hands. And so there are three steps that I saw here in this passage that I can't really, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to give them to you, and you can do with them as you must. These are my, my three steps to break through. Address, attend, and adhere. I give you guys the, the three A's, alliteration, because that's what pastors do. So hopefully you guys can understand that. But I love what I see from Joash here. He's, he's not like my, my kid that runs to me who is, who is crying but won't tell me why he's crying. <laughs> you, guys, you guys, parents, you know what I'm talking about. When you're just like, just, I, I can't help you. I, let me help you. Help me help you. But why, you know what? Until you can start, start talking to me with real human words, I can't really help you. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> but I love that Jehoash or Joash says in this moment, hey, there's some chariots that are coming to get me. He's talking about something specific here today. Hear what I'm saying. If we don't address our issues, we can't fix our issues, right? right we, have to, we have to face them. We have to, you know, call them out by name and say, you know what, this is an issue that I'm dealing with. God, I need you to fix this problem, right? If you, if you have some financial issues, and David Montgomery will back me up. Like, you can't, you can't turn your face away from, you know, pulling out all of your accounts so you can see how much debt you're in because you can't tackle the debt until you know what it looks like. Am I correct on that? You guys hear what I'm saying? You got to address the issue. Then he says, um, Elisha, Elisha in, this, in this account, he is operating as um, the, the man of, he is the man of God in this moment, but he is God's representative. So, Whatever words that he is speaking, this is words that God is speaking directly towards this man. This is the word of God. And he tells him, go do this, and he does it. But he has to listen to what he's saying. And that's what it means to be attentive in the moment. Joash in the moment is, is attentive to the words because he is in desperation. So he's attending to the word of God. He's listening to the word of God. And he doesn't just listen to the word of God, but he begins to do what the word of God is telling him to do. Pick up the arrows. He 
picks him up. He'll stand by the window. He stands by the window. Shoot the arrow. He shoots. He's obeying the word of God. That's what it means to adhere. Not just to listen, but to do. So these are my, my three points here, right? Address, attend, adhere, if you're taking note. But here's what really stands out to me so far in this passage. I think these first few verses are speaking a little bit. Yes, Joash is crying out. God is merciful. Um, there is, you know, some things that he's responding to. Elisha's speaking commands. Joash is complying. But there's a really great reminder in this passage that I think is really important for us this morning. And it's, it's this. is that we are at war. Like, we can talk about victory, but how many of you know that we can't have victory unless we have something to be victorious over? There are, are moments where we, we talk about faith of a mustard seed can move the mountains. But that passage makes no sense if the mountain doesn't exist, <laughs> right? You can't move a mountain that's not there. You can't be an overcomer if you don't have something to overcome. You can't be more than a conqueror unless you are conquering something. So what am I trying to say? That yes, we are victorious in Christ, but also that we are at war. The Bible uses a lot of military language for us. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. You don't put on full armor unless you are going into a battle. Timothy talks about Becoming a soldier of Christ says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. First Corinthians says to be on guard. And this may be breaking news to some of you, and this may be old hat news for the rest of us, but we, we are at war. And the Bible is pretty clear that not only we are at war, but we have an enemy. And the Bible is pretty clear that this enemy operates in the spiritual realm. Although we may see some things physically, most of our battles are happening in realms that we cannot see. The Bible is also clear that the enemy is not on vacation. That he has one mode, and his one mode is to steal, kill, and destroy. His intent for you, family, today is to destroy you, to destroy your family, to destroy your life, your purpose, your calling. There is only one aim and one goal for the enemy right now, and that is to take you out. And why is this so important? Why is this so important to understand that the enemy is trying to destroy your marriage? He's trying to destroy your kids. Because sometimes I think that many of us struggle with overcoming the issues in our life because we are so casual about it. Our approach is casual. Our approach is casual. We are, we are chilling and the enemy has his finger on the nuke button in our life. Now, I love golf, but listen, we're at the driving range. While we're at the driving range, the enemy's at the shooting range. And while we're at Five Guys eating really good burgers, I don't, I'm vegan, but um, while y'all are at Five Guys eating those unhealthy burgers, <clears throat> the enemy's over at XCOW, you know, or CrossFit, and he's working out, and he's figuring out, and he's scheming ways to take you out. We got our feet up on the couch, and we're chilling, and we're watching a movie, or for me and my wife, it's more like the movie's watching us while we are 
on our phones, scrolling through reels and sharing it with each other. <laughs> Not quite sure what's happening in that moment. You guys know what I'm talking about? But there's nothing necessarily wrong with any, any of those things. But just know, family, while we are chilling, the enemy is scheming to take us out. And I'm not in any way in this moment trying to scare you, but I am temp- attempting in this moment to wake you up to the fact that if you want victory, you are going to have to fight for it. Here's a good question that I'll ask you. What... what do your spiritual disciplines look like in your life? Does your spiritual disciplines look more like a civilian or a soldier? And I'm talking about prayer, fasting, meditating on the word day and night. I'm talking about community, small group, church. I'm talking about our spiritual disciplines that God gives us, worship, Does the way that we pray for our kids express an understanding that the enemy is out to derail them from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Does the way that we pursue our spouses and our marriage look like we are fighting for it, or does it look like we're just playing house? What about our approach to to, to sin in our life, to addiction, to pornography? Do we understand that the goal of sin is not just so that we can have pleasure, but the end goal and the the, the design of of sin is to take you out and to destroy your life and your purpose and then remove you from a prospering and victorious life in Jesus Christ. Family, what about our approach to evangelism? What about our approach to our neighbors and to our kids, uh, to our schools and, and to our coworkers and to our community? And we become too casual and recognizing that we are at war and the enemy's design right now is to kind of remove this community from knowing Jesus Christ. What does it look like for you today? We are at war. You know, we are at war. And then sometimes, family, we, we need to declare war. And this is what this, this passage is saying a little bit here. Because Elijah tells him in verse 16, he says, Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elijah puts his hands on the king's hands. He says, open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the victory over Aram, and this might say Syria. Elijah declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. I love what Elijah is doing here, that he is declaring victory before the war even starts. It's awesome. It's a great reminder to us today that the God we serve is a victorious one. We are fighting battles right now from a place of victory, not from a place of, I don't know what's going to happen. We know the outcome. In Christ, we win, right? What I also love about this is that Elisha doesn't just declare a war or victory. He declares war. That's what he does here. That's what it means. You guys have seen the movies where uh, they are in a battle and these are old movies where they don't have the modern, you know, warfare and technology, but they have, they have bows and arrows and, and they have swords. And typically what they'll do is, you know, what you'll see is one kind of lit with fire and one person shoots the bow. And what they are saying in this moment is, I'm ready for war. I'm ready to fight. And this is what's happening in this passage. He is opening a specific window, pointing to a specific enemy, and he's saying, in this moment... 
I am declaring not only victory, but I am declaring war. I'm looking at my enemy. I'm looking at this specific thing that's trying to take me out. And I'm saying, no longer am I just going to sit back and let you come and defeat me and destroy me and taunt me and tell me something that's not true. I am going to declare war in the moment. This is a necessary shift for us to walk a victorious life today. That we don't just declare victory, but we declare war. Man, it's really quiet. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, I declare war. You guys have played the game, the card game. You know how to say it. Say it again. I declare war. Why is this so important? Family, there are specific things that you are dealing with right now. For some of us, it's depression that you're dealing with. And today is a really good day to look that in the face and say, no longer will you continue to destroy the purpose in my life that God has put in my life. I am today declaring war against you in the name of Jesus. Some of us are dealing with insecurity. It's ruining relationships. that's ruining lives around us. But today is a really good day to put your foot down and shoot an arrow that says, today... Not only am I declaring victory, today I am declaring war. Today I'm going to fight for my purpose. Today I'm going to fight for the life that God has put inside of me. Today I'm not just going to stand back and let you come and destroy me and be on the offensive. Today I am going to be on the offensive. Today I am declaring war. And that's a shift that some of us are going to have to to make in our lives. We can no longer be apathetic towards the things that are happening around us or happening towards our families. We got to go to a specific window and take what God has given us and declare war. I'm running out of time here a little bit, so I'm going to try to get through this last little part. Um, you know, Elijah, this next little part, this last part is, is really interesting. So Elijah tells him to take the arrows and strike the ground in verse 18. And Joash does that. He takes the arrows and he strikes the ground three times. And then he stopped. And then we see Elisha say, the man of God was angry with him. And he said, Man, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Remember the verse before, he he had told him that he would have complete victory. And now he's saying, because you've only struck it three times, you're not going to have complete victory. You're just going to have the amount of victory that you decided to strike the arrows. And I was wrestling with this passage, and there are so many thoughts. And if I shared all of them, I think we'd probably be here till 2 p.m. <laughs> we'd be here a long, long time. But these are the, really the two things that stood out to me. One is, one is this. The question I'm asking is, why did Elisha get so angry in the moment? 
Why did he get so angry with him? Because he didn't really give him specific commands like he had before. It was kind of ambiguous. Strike the ground. He didn't tell him how many. Joash didn't ask, but he didn't tell him how many. But I get this, I get this, uh, when I'm really thinking about this moment and this, and this picture in my mind is, you know, Joash is coming to Elisha on Elisha's deathbed. Elisha is dying. Matter of fact, verse 20 basically says that Elijah died right after this. This is his last prophetic act, his last moment that he does a miracle moving in the, um, the power of God. So he's giving everything that he has in this moment, every single bit of energy that he has to, to get up off his deathbed, to give a command. I'm sure it was probably even hard for him to even speak, to, to talk Um, let alone put his hand on him to help him shoot the arrow in this prophetic moment. He's giving everything. And I could sense that when Joash doesn't, when Joash stops in that moment, I could get a sense that that was the reason that Elisha was so angry and so upset, is that I'm giving you the rest of my life, all of my life here in this moment. And all you can give me is, if we do the math, if he has five or six arrows and if he only shoots three, 50 or 60%. You're giving me 50 or 60% effort here in this moment. When we're talking about the fight for your life, I'm giving you everything I got. And you're giving me 50, 60%. And I just was thinking about our Jesus, our God, our Jesus who stepped down from the throne in heaven, taking on human flesh, getting up on the cross, being beaten, being humiliated, cut open. He's bleeding. He's dying for us. He is giving everything that he has for us to have the life that he desires for us to have. He's laying it all out for us. He's dying for us. He died for us. Get the, get the sense that God was just for my own soul, my own self. Jermaine, I, I've given you 100%. Like, what's happening, bro? <laughs> what's happening? But also, you know, he, he has this, he has these five or six arrows and he only shoots the three. Um, and I'm starting to think, like, maybe the level of victory in our life is really based, not based on what we do, but probably based on what we don't do. And when you, when you think about this, he didn't give him explicit instructions, but he had five or six arrows to shoot. Why not shoot all five or six? Why, why would you stop? And his victory was, the amount of victory was determined based on the amount of times that he shot the arrows. And it's possible that we may be asking the wrong question sometimes. It's, we might need to change it from maybe like, what am I doing wrong? But like, what do I need to do right? Or what do I need to do more, God? And for some of us, that answer is easy. Right, because some of us aren't doing really anything, so it's just start at the beginning and just do something. 
But some of us, it's a little more complicated because you are doing a pretty decent amount. And maybe you're in a place where you are trying to figure out what's next. It doesn't seem clear. Maybe you stop, you stop giving real effort towards the things that you are doing because you've, you have felt pain, you have felt rejected, you have experienced what, like, what it's like to kind of put yourself out and not get what you want on the, the other end. Maybe you've been hurt by the rejection. Maybe you've been let down by your circumstances and it's painful. And maybe you're just tired, right? Maybe you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired and you've got nothing else to give and you're lacking a little faith and a little hope. And I understand where you are because I've been there and you're caught in this land of tension that's in between kind of wanting victory, but also kind of wanting to give up. And I think I just came today to encourage you through this passage and not some weird name it or claim it or declare and decree type of way, but in a, in a real biblically sound way that says you still have arrows to shoot in your quiver. You still have shots to shoot. Shoot your shot. Shoot all of them. I played, I played basketball and I was, a, I was a shooter. I loved it because when I was shooting and I missed a shot, the coach would say, keep shooting. You're a shooter. Keep shooting. And even when you're in a slump, the coach would say, just, hey, just keep shooting. I know that you will make a shot eventually. <laughs> and there's a, there's a saying that says you, you're going to miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Keep shooting. Keep shooting. James says it like this. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Continues in it. Keep shooting. 1 Corinthians 9 says it like this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Keep running. Galatians says it like this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Luke 18 says it like this, a parable to persistent widow. Jesus tells the, told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And there's this moment with this woman who's looking for justice, and she's going to this judge, and she's not getting it, but she keeps going. And it says in verse 4, for some time he refused, but he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's great. <laughs> and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep striking your arrows. Keep shooting your shot. Family, keep praying. Don't stop meditating on the words. Don't stop going to small group. Don't stop applying for jobs. Don't stop coming to church. Don't stop having your family dinners at the table. Don't stop calling your friends. Don't stop going the extra mile on your job. Don't stop giving. Don't stop. Keep shooting the arrows. Keep shooting the arrows. And I'll, I'll, let, me, let me close with this. Let me close with this. Do I have a... a keyboard player so I can have a real anointed moment. That's awesome. <laughs> let, me, let me close with this. Um, 
And my, my, my wife in, in March, she left her job and we were about five months in and she was, she was looking for a job. And she's, she's the most awesome woman I know, so she's super qualified, super smart. And um, she had a great, great resume because I put it together. And, <clears throat> and she was getting interviews and interviews and interviews, but she wasn't getting a job. And, uh, and it was tough. And she felt a little slightly defeated, just kind of like, you know what, I'm just I'm done. I'm not, I'm like, I don't know. We're going to just do something different. I think she started doing odds and ends and just trying to figure things out. But, um, you know, and then one day, she just decided, I, I got this Facebook group, <laughs> the Real Ladies of Loudoun. Um, I'm just going to put something out there that says, hey, I'm looking for this. Very specific, too. I'm looking for this that makes this that will allow me to do this. And immediately, she started getting a, a flood of, of things in her inbox. And now she has a job that's awesome. It's a testimony. The, test, the real testimony is... <laughs> the real testimony is that she has a job working part-time that's making more than she did working full-time. Thank, won't he do it? <laughs> My wife is a boss. I love it. Um, but what I took away from that moment is, you know, it's not, it's not what we know. It's who we know. A lot of times what we know will still lead us to give up. But if we know someone that opened doors and doesn't, doesn't cause us to give up, causes us to, to get up and to go. We give up because of what we know. We don't give up because of who we know. I think that's what I want to leave us with today. I think that was the issue with Joash here in the moment because he had the prophet's hands on him, shooting the arrows. It was a prophetic moment. He had run to him because he, know, he knew that he knew God, but because Joash didn't have a relationship with God, didn't know God, he gave up in the moment and didn't give his all. And all I'm saying is that for us, we can press in in this moment and then give more than we think we can give because we know a God who has unlimited resources. We know a God who is fighting for us. We know a God who is victorious. We know, we know who he is. Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says it like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't give up. Keep shooting your arrows. There's victory. There's hope that can be found in the grace and mercy of God. Cry out to him. Address the issues. Attend to his word. Adhere to his word. Recognize that you are at war. Declare war in this moment for yourself, for your family, 
for your neighbors, for your friends. And don't give up. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy today. We thank you that you you love us when we are unfaithful towards you, when our lives are saying something different. God, you never change. God, I thank you for that. God, I pray that anyone here who's been running from you, been running from turning towards you, don't know how to turn towards you, God, I pray that in this moment you would arrest their heart, that you would grab a hold of them, that you would call them out by name, that you would tell them that you love them, that you would, you would speak to them and say that you are there in the midst of their issues, that they are not alone, that you are with them. While all our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there anyone here in this place that is hearing this and saying, you know what, I, I have been running from God. I, I, don't, I don't know him, but I want to know him. If that's any one of you here in this place, would you, would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? I see that hand. Once it's up, you can put it down. Is there anyone else? pray this prayer. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that's here today for me to hear your voice. Please forgive me for the way that I've lived my life in disregard of who you are. Today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. I choose to follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for everyone else here. God, I pray that you would help them find victory, fight for victory, fight from victory, and continue on this journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.